Hello and welcome to the Still Space Podcast. I'm your host, Executive Coach Mary Lee Gannon, where my guests and I share fun and simple strategies to manage yourself so that you can show up the way you want in work relationships in life and not default to past behaviors that leave you disappointed. The Still Space is where you learn to take an intentional moment to challenge habitual assumptions that hold you back with enlightened truths that boost your genius. We transform drama, resentment, doubt, unmet expectations, and self-sabotage to executive presence, self-control, deep sleep, healthy choices, and more connection with people who matter while it still matters. It's time. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me. Hi, Mary Lee Gannon, and I'm so happy that you're with me today. Today we're talking about something that all of us deal with all of the time, and that is our own ego. Yes, we all have an ego, and it gets in the way sometimes. Other times it's very helpful. It keeps us safe. It has made us not extinct as a species because we're very good at noticing danger. But that's not helpful when you're trying to take risks, maybe do something at work that's out of the ordinary, apply for a promotion, apply for a new job, get to know somebody that you're interested in, develop a healthier relationship with people. The ego gets in the way. So today we're talking about the dance that we do with the ego. And this has to do with our self-awareness. The most coachable and promotable people are highly self-aware. They're aware of their thoughts. They understand what's going on in their head and know how those thoughts affect their emotions and their actions and their behaviors. So self-awareness is twofold. There's internal self-awareness, but there's also external self-awareness. People with high self-awareness are in touch with their own feelings, their values, their strengths, their priorities and emotions. They are also aware that others have these same traits, feelings, strengths, emotions, and they notice them in real time. Strong leaders can see people for who they are without judging themselves for not being the same or for not being good enough to have gotten where they are. If you don't believe in yourself, no one else will either. So we're building your self-awareness as we talk about ego today. My story is living testament that anyone can turn their life, their perspective, their ego, their relationships, their leadership, their career around by developing the self-awareness and the dance that we do with the ego. At the age of 35, I was a stay-at-home mom with four kids under seven years old and a self-employed husband. I had a degree with which I was earning about $30,000 a year when I left the workforce to be a full-time mom. But within months of being a mom and building a family, I started to realize things didn't seem quite right, and eventually my marriage became absolutely unpalatable, and I didn't want to believe that I would be breaking up a marriage and that my children would have to come from a broken home. But then it became painfully aware that it was absolutely the appropriate thing to do. 
Well, within months of filing for divorce, the children and I went from the country club life to welfare, food stamps, medical assistance, homelessness, no automobile, from where I had to reinvent my life to support my family. Somebody in the family had to lead, and as much as I wanted a fairy godmother or a prince to save the day, I knew I had to rescue myself. What I've come to realize over the years following this time of anguish is that people can only take away your things. They can't take away your spirit. You control that. And if you choose to allow others to take away your peace, your sense of humor, your ability to love and nurture, then you have lost yourself and begun to value what the evil and and unhappy people hold dear, power, money, material goods. No one said that the one holding the most stuff gets the most peace. Trappings like title, money, home, cars, control. They do not settle the soul, but our ego steps in and says, ah, you're losing. Fight, fight, fight for more. Fight, fight, fight for more. And we have to get off of that dance with the unhealthy ego. Managing the dance with ego is an intentional one. It takes patience and acceptance to peel back the coverings that we lay on top of the ego to protect it, right? So I'm going to pretend like this doesn't hurt and just armor up and soldier on. You might be angry about something. Your ego has been bruised and you feel something was unjust. But what are the coverings you put on top of that story as you avoid the discomfort that you don't want to feel? When we are armoring up against a feeling that's painful, we behave out of alignment with ourselves. Do you make excuses for reactive behavior? Do you become annoyed with people who have done nothing to offend you? Do you evade people that remind you of discomfort? Do you not want to be with someone in their discomfort because it's just too painful for you? Are you short-tempered with someone for no reason? Do you have a hard time listening to people who are suffering because your compassion tank is empty even for yourself? Do you avoid important things because you don't feel you have the energy for them? Peeling back the layers means asking yourself what is really behind your behavior so you can raise your awareness. Are you really annoyed or are you trying to protect yourself so much that you've become detached? Are you erupting for no reason because you are guarding yourself such that you don't Have compassion even for yourself, let alone anyone else right now. Very familiar feelings for lots of us. I was angry during and after my divorce. Really angry. I was angry that I had to do everything. Help with all the schoolwork. Drive back and forth to all the sports games and practices. Earn the living to support the children. Research, advocate, educate our child with a disability, myself, and alone, and that the four children's father was not involved in their lives and was playing the poor man in the court system. I was angry that I had to be mom and dad. It didn't leave room for me to be me. I was tired and emotionally vacant. I couldn't be the emotional grounding my children needed because I wasn't even able to be that for myself, and I didn't have the humility to peel back the coverings I put over my ego. 
which was telling me, you're losing, you're losing, fight harder in court, win, try and win, which the cards were stacked against me there. I lost thousands of dollars on lawyers, money that should have been used to feed my children. Finally, I stopped paying lawyers because I was repeatedly losing, and none of them wanted to represent me anyway because I was a woman without money. I started representing myself because really, I had to. Nobody would represent me. I was really scared at first. Imagine me going up against a $450 to $550 lawyer. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I was afraid I'd embarrass myself, but this is where I learned how to dance with the ego. You know what? If I embarrass myself, so what? Life goes on, nobody died or got hurt. When my ex-husband appealed a child support and alimony award of $269 a week for the five of us, after he had just appeared in the society column of the newspaper, I knew I had to do it for my children. And guess what happened? Believe it or not, this is the first time in court that I actually won. I won. Now, granted, I'm only winning that he's not going to lower a $269 a month child support award. But it felt so good. I stood up for myself. And I did it. It was amazing. Very early in our struggles, I realized that I was going to be the primary provider for my children, and I had to figure out a way to do so quickly. Chasing this self-employed man through the courts was not a good use of my time, energy, or money, and the court isn't designed to give anyone a conscience. I hadn't worked outside the home in seven years, so my skills were rusty, and I wasn't even sure what they were. But the one thing I was certain of was that public assistance was not the way I wanted my life to live or the lives of my children to be lived. And I had done the big cry and a lot of asking why me, but that got me nothing but more paralyzed with fear and feeling like a victim. Victimhood does not advance the ball. While my children were young, I had done a lot of volunteering and I had done a lot of writing for nonprofit organizations. So I took the volunteer clips that I had written and I sent them to the largest metropolitan newspaper in our city. Now, uh, that took a little bit of gumption because I didn't have a journalism degree, but they were asking for freelance writers, and I thought, well, I can write, and I tried, and they hired me. And I remember the editor telling me, you know, Mary Lee, we have Ivy School, Ivy League schooled uh, journalists here who can't, write the way you do. You write like you're having a conversation and I can follow your writing. I thought, okay, maybe I don't have everything that they need on paper, but I can do this one thing really well. I'll take it. And I went on to write for a number of other magazines and professional publications. But this started to build my mojo. I was putting the ego aside, taking risks, and if it didn't work out, okay, I would just try again. I got over the fear of rejection. When I needed adequate health care benefits for the children because I was making too much money, uh, I entered the corporate world and I taught myself how to network, write grants, desktop publish, all skills that eventually led me to being the executive director of a hospital foundation without having ever held a job in a hospital foundation or any other foundation or any other organized fundraising program, but I had raised more money as a volunteer 
that their office had raised fully staffed. People ask me where I got my confidence back then to apply for positions I wasn't qualified for in paper, and I told them it was because I never doubted that I could learn just about anything. They weren't asking me to do surgery at that hospital. The work was hard, but I wanted to do it. That is how I got really good at it. Give me a prospective hire who wants to do a job and I can train them what to do. I can't train you to want to do it. So if you can communicate to your constituents, to hiring managers, that you want that job, they will want you. They will want to invest time in you because you want to be there. I rose quickly in corporate America because I played to my strengths. I'm very good with intuition. I'm very good at discernment. Know your strengths. Know what you're good at and be able to talk about how you've used them. A story, you know, we're writing nonfiction. We don't want to play to the fiction stories in our head, but nonfiction here, the truth. How you've used your strengths to advance, to do something measurable. If you spend most of your time developing your weaknesses, you will only be mediocre at best. I was good previously at being a victim, searching to be rescued. And I was a bit of a stoic bully if you got in my way. I had to realize how to connect with people and put the shame of my situation aside because my relationships were frayed. I was thriving in corporate America. I was very good at playing to my strengths, but I needed healthier relationships. I wanted to connect better with my children. I wanted to connect better with friends. I didn't even feel like I had deserved any of that because things had gone so poorly in my life. And this is where humility and vulnerability come in. This is the human side of being yourself. Human traits are very hard to work on because as achievers, we just want to do something differently. I'll take that class, I'll do this, and things will get better. But no, when we have to go within ourselves, this is where we lasso the ego and we can be humble, we can be vulnerable and still show up feeling powerful. I had built up such a guard around my soul and was so unaware of what it was costing me that I couldn't even see how I was distancing myself from people that I care about. I was really good at work but I wanted something more out of my personal relationships. You know, our ego keeps us safe. Your ego is like radar that constantly scans for threat. What it perceives is not always a truth. Remember, those are the nonfiction stories that come up because we haven't challenged the ego. The ego is primitive and has kept our species from being extinct for centuries. But what I realized I needed to do was move away from stoic detachment, draw in my strengths, accept my weaknesses with curiosity, and give thanks for the blessings that I already had. And the children and I were grateful that we live in a country that afforded us the assistance that we needed when we needed it. It was excruciatingly hard. We needed that support, and I'm grateful that we had it. But I made a conscious choice to demonstrate to my children that we had nothing to be ashamed of. I cashed welfare checks in front of the children. I purchased groceries with food stamps cards. 
I never hid any of that from them because I think that just draws shame forward. You know, you all have signature strengths. And stop for a moment and just think right now about those. What are you really good at? Something that you can play to, tell stories about, demonstrate measurably. This is how we dance with the ego when it rises up and says, no, you can't. Oh, yes, I can, and I have. Executive and personal presence will come naturally to you when you've increased your self-awareness and your ability to self-regulate these thoughts and emotions that hold you back. And it's challenging. No question it will make you feel uncomfortable. But when you can stand the truth up against those challenges, you will see there are wonderful things, wonderful things inside of you. Sometimes life stinks. No question. You can accept that, yet you might be starting to perceive that that discomfort is sticking around longer than you'd like, and this is where you want to practice challenging that ego. But it kind of scares you, I get that. I was scared too. You are a person who aligns with purpose, but sometimes you doubt that you might feel victimized or trapped or not in a purposeful place. That's okay. This is when you can stand yourself up against that ego and say, you know what, I've got this. I know, I see myself wanting to play it safe, but I've got this. I've not only walked a mile in your shoes, I've broken many heels along the way, changed shoes dozens of times, thinking that if I tried just one more thing, I'd be happier or a little more effective. And the harder I tried, the more stuck I became and the more exhausted. I suspect you know a little bit about being stuck. We all are from time to time. It feels powerless. The two partners in the dance with the ego are triggers and self-control. The question is, who will lead? You're the dance instructor. You regulate the music to slow down the thought, before the peaceful slow dance speeds out of control. Ego will always be around to keep you safe. We should not be afraid of our ego. It's there for a reason. We just don't want to be hostage to triggers. And triggers are situations outside of our control that activate assumptions from previous life experience. They hijack your good reason and trip you into fear. Triggers can result in regrettable behavior right? Those things that after you do them or after you say that, you are thinking to yourself, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm still doing that. Why am I still doing that? That is not mindful. That harsh judgment on self is the very moment where you want to say, oh, that was just me feeling triggered, not, oh, why can't I stop doing this? That harshness on self doesn't serve you and feeds the ego. Oh no, that's just me being this way. I am that way sometimes. Is much more freeing than the trap of self-criticism. You know, those triggers can result in regrettable behavior, and they can also result in allowing the threat to pass without acting on it if you're mindful, if you choose to be the dance instructor with the ego and not letting the ego lead. The practices you develop to self-regulate fear will disarm those triggers 
and lead by separating perceived threats from real ones. Think about the perceived threats. Oh, I'm going to this meeting. I'm not sure what's going to be expected of me. That's a perceived threat. You're not even there. A perceived threat that you don't want to allow trigger your ego. So you say, oh yeah, this is me just going to a meeting and I noticed that I could maybe feel a little threatened here, but I've got this and retell yourself the story. Not, oh my gosh, this bad thing's gonna happen, but look through a new lens, look through a fresh lens. How else could I look at this? Always be challenging the assumptions. How else might I look at this? Well, this is a meeting where I have a chance to share what I've been working on, and I want to share that glory with the team. So I'm going to frame it in that our team is doing this, and we've been researching this, and we've discovered this, and I invite any questions and your input without feeling threatened. Because as a servant leader, you're noticing that the more you show up authentically as you are, the more good things flood your way. And the more the ego can sit up on your shoulder and not have to be in front of your face scaring you. Blah, 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 play it safe, play it safe. No, I've got this one ego, sit up on my shoulder. I've got this. You've got this. You can dance with your ego by being the instructor instead of following along. I know you can do this. You're awesome. Wishing you a week where you are leading the dance with your ego. I'm glad you were with me today, and I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me.